Last week, um, we talked about uh, another little big word, the word uh, if. And we talked about how, uh, if, you, if you remember, if is a, is a significant word because if implies a then. Uh, there, there's a, a natural consequence uh, to if. Uh, and, and so we covered some areas that we're going to actually go over again through a different word. Um, but we covered the, the concept of God. And, and beginning from this idea of absolute truth and the significance of what absolute truth means to us as we start progressing down this chain, that, that one thing necessarily implies another. Uh, that that uh, we, we talked about God. And then we talked about, well, the, the implications if Christ uh, and what that means then finally, the implications to, to me personally. What, what, is this, what does this affect in my life? And so we're actually going to go back to a verse that we, um, that we, there we go, open sesame here. Uh, we, we, we began in this text, we're just going to read one brief thing because there's another little tiny word in here that is so impactful here. The baptism of John, he says, where did it come from? Remember we had this question last week, and we, this is where we introduced if at. He says, does it come from heaven or from man? And they discussed it, saying amongst themselves, well, if we say heaven, he's going to say this. If we say, why didn't you believe? If we say it's from man, we're afraid of the crowd. They all believed that John was a prophet. Now, you can read this. You identify quickly that they don't believe that John is a prophet. And so they're trying to figure out how to get out of this thing. And it's because of another word in here uh, that Jesus has identified. And it's this little word, or. Or. We use this word a lot. This or that. And it has a lot of different ways uh, that, that it's used. But the eventual requirement of absolute truth is this. A choice. Well, once you accept principles in your life, you have to get brought to a choice eventually. This is the way it is. You have to choose something. Or. And they're brought to this choice. They don't want it. They try not to make it even. But, but in not making it, they make their choice. It's obvious. <coughs> Choices are, are difficult. We had a, we're having an issue in our house with Choices. Which sport to play? You get to pick one. But I, there's a reason I want this one. And there's a reason I want this one. Okay? You've got to make a choice. Tough choices. This or that. Pilate was brought to a choice. We began with that discussion. And, and he didn't like that choice. Justice or peace. I'd like both. Yeah? This time you can't. You've got to pick one. Truth forces us to identify and embrace truth or ignore it. So we're going to talk about these three areas again, God and Christ and us, and look at them through the, the lens of or. I'm going to just stay right here. The religion of God, and this is the question, this is the fundamental question. Where does it come from? The, the first choice that, human, that a human must make when we discuss religion 
is what is the source of it. And we're going to look at the, the source of religion from three perspectives. First of all, that the source determines its divinity. Jesus forces them, as I said, to the choice that they didn't want to make. Well, is it from God? Well, if we say yes, then he's going to say, why didn't you act accordingly? Why isn't this? You, you acknowledge it, but there's no choice on your part. You're acknowledging it, but there's no choice. They don't want to live accordingly. So it is obvious from their reaction what choice they've made intellectually that it is not from God. We don't want to say it's from God. But they really didn't like John. He publicly identified their sins. He labeled them for what they were. They did not like him. But the problem there was that everyone else did. We got, got a, tough, a tough decision to make here. And so this question of, of, of the source and, and its divinity, it has wide-ranging implications. Religious, religious practices either have a divine source or a human source. Right? Once, once we acknowledge a deity, that's, that's what we've already talked about. Once we open our minds up and, and start looking at the universe and say, this has to come from something. Once we acknowledge that, there's a, a, an unavoidable chain of events that, that happens. And that's why our world around us has been fighting for hundreds of years to try to come up with an explanation which eliminates God from the equation. Because they know that if there's a God, there are things that I am going to have to do or not do. It's necessary part of it. So, once we figure out that God's real, we have to start figuring out which message that's communicated, because there are so many. Which one of those is real? Which religion is correct? Which origin story? Right? There's lots of them. So the source will determine its divinity. Second thing, Matthew chapter 23, verse 16 through 19, he says, Woe to you blind guides who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, whoo, well, then he is bound by that oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? Now, let's stop for a second. And you and I know that gold isn't special and, and the temple was just a building, right? They didn't know that. God used a metaphor. We talked about the idea of the metaphor and the, how the temple, that's... that's Earlier in the year, we talked about the metaphor that God wanted and the, the Ark of the Covenant and all these things that he used as a metaphor to teach them holiness. But he told them that the temple makes the gold special. It, 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 the gold doesn't make the temple special. It, it was the fact that there were sacrifices there and God says, this is what I want. This religion is from me and so you're going to do this. And this is, because it's from me, this has value. The gold plating and the cedars of Lebanon doesn't make this a special place. That just makes it look nice. So, back to, the, back to our text. He says, uh, which, which makes 
uh, he says, which is greater, the, the gold of the temple that's made the gold sacred? But you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? And that's interesting. Because, he, okay, forget the gold, but the sacrifice. We think of the sacrifice that is really important. And God says, you have it backwards. The sacrifice is just an animal. It was just out there. It was eating grass. It was having a good time. And you came along and slit the throat and whatever you did and burnt it up. It's just an animal. But the, it was the altar it was that, that it was dedicated to God that made that animal have some spiritual value. It was me that did it, in other words. It's the source of it. And so, the second thing is that the source determines the value. Very similar to the, to the previous point. We're just kind of one link down the chain here. If we accept a particular religion, it's going to have to shape my behavior. Once I pick that source, I'm going to have to do the things that that, that source says. If I accept an Eastern religion, well, I'm going to have to go up to Mount Tibet and sit cross-legged and do whatever they say because that would be the source that was divine and that would say, listen, this is what makes me happy. That would be what I need to listen to. So it is important for us to investigate the question of what is the source, who is the source, and what is he saying to me? A religious practice can only have value if it has been given from a divine source, and that is an important part of this. We're assuming something, and I understand that's a little bit of circular reasoning. I'm assuming a point in order to make a point. So if we back up, there's an idea that all religions are equal. And we talked about this when we talked about modernism and postmodernism and, and all these ideas that, that your idea is just as good as mine. No. Your idea is either better than mine. Well, that, let me modify that. Yes, they can be equal. They can be, both be equally wrong. That would be true. But all things said in this universe cannot be equally correct. Because some of them necessarily come into conflict with one another. If there exists a divinity, then religion can only be that which comes from him. He will not make contradictory statements. Right? Moral value cannot spontaneously generate any more than living matter. Moral value doesn't just come from somewhere. That's one of the great evidences for God, is that, that all of us, if you think about this, all of us have certain things that, that we need intrinsically and we desire. Right? You get thirsty. It's a lucky thing that there's water, isn't there? It's like... Whew. Imagine walking around and, and, and you got thirsty and there was nothing to, to do about it. Everything that we have as a, as a basic idea has a natural fulfillment. Man, no matter where he has, has always had a basic desire for spirituality and for moral compass. Now we identify it different. 
But there has to be something that fills that need somewhere perfectly. Because it is a basic need of all humanity. It can't come from nothing. So, the source determines the divinity and it determines the value. One more thing it determines, it says, am I now seeking the approval of man or am I seeking the approval of God? Am I still trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I cannot be a servant of Christ. And this is where we come to the choice. See, the source determines my purpose. And he's like, once you accept these certain things, we keep going down it, and we can't escape from this series of natural conclusions. I'm going to have to figure out the meaning of life. The purpose behind existence. Then the purpose of religion. What is it there for? That's a long, a long answer with a lot of questions at the end of it. In some societies, religion, the purpose of religion is so you can get rain. That's the reason. That's re- Let's do these things. Why? We will please the gods and we will have crops. So, so, again, all these religions have these various reasons. They're all conflicting reasons. Well, no, this is the meaning of life. No, this is the reason for this. This is why we do this. Well, they can't have conflicting purposes. We have to, again, narrow it down to one. It requires choice. And sometimes you can, you can have the right religion and have the wrong motive. Right? So, some people live within Christianity simply for the purpose of avoiding hell. I'm telling you, you you've got such a narrow vision of what Christianity, if, if that is what you, you live for, if that's your purpose. I'm not saying it's, it, it's inaccurate, but it's, it's like we talked about Apollos. Like the way is so much more full than that. You're, you know... You need a, a much better pair of these than I've got. If that's what Christianity is, avoiding hell. True religion is to do what makes a father happy. That's the source. That's, that, that's what he wants. You have things that you cherish. The older you are, you might have more of them. And likely in every house that has had kids run through it, and maybe those that haven't, you have things that have very little value if someone else comes in and looks at them. But they were things that can't be replaced And they were things that that were done simply because someone wanted to see the look on a parent's face. And they they made this ashtray, and you don't even smoke, or what? You're like, I made this for you. I I know, I barely remember this in my life, but I do remember this. Uh, But my mom has told the story, so I remember it better through her story, but I do remember it. 
the worst cup of coffee ever made. My mom used to drink brim. I don't even know if they make that anymore. Do you remember brim? It's like instant coffee, but like uh, it's like one of the worst, awful, nasty. So my mom, she she came home from from work. She walked home from work, um, and uh, we didn't have a car, and so she was always exhausted, especially in the winter, uh, when she'd come home from work, and uh, she just she'd laid down. She was exhausted, and uh, so I knew what my mom loves. My mom loves coffee. And, and so I went into the kitchen and we didn't even have a teapot. I, I got a, the saucepan. I've, I've seen her do this a thousand times, right? Uh, it poured water into it and boiled the water and go and I knew where the brim was so I'd unscrew the thing. Now I'm, I don't drink coffee at this point in my life and, so, and especially instant coffee. So I don't know how to do this. So my brain says, how do we do this? Now, I probably could have read the directions, but no. That would have been easy. But my mind went to hot, hot cocoa is what I drink, brown, same, similar stuff, a little bit more grainy, but okay, how do I make hot cocoa? I make hot cocoa like any kid. I mean, I'm putting those, you know, like four or five of them suckers in there, right? So I made coffee for my mom. And I'm like, well, she, she must like it. Like, I like hot cocoa. It's, it's, like, it's like hot cocoa for adults. So I have one, two, three, four of these things, right? And stir it up and watch it vanish. And like, ah, I've made coffee. Well, when I make it, I don't put sugar in it because it all comes in hot cocoa. So I go out there with this coffee. And she's like, oh, thank you, you know. And she drank the whole cup. <laughs> or at least she did until I turned around. I don't know. Because I wanted to make her happy. I was a, a nine or ten year old kid that wanted to do something. And, and we have things in our house that are testaments to this. Pictures drawn that are really not that good. We did not quite identify. We had a, a, a Julian when he was a little, little kid drew a Christmas scene. And, and we kind of had to figure it out, you know. It was, it was pretty cool, though. And, it, and there's all these different things in this picture. And, and, and it was like, wow, this, this is quite an imagination. But we kept it somewhere. We have it somewhere. Because this was His creation. We are God's creation. And what the purpose of religion is, all of this stuff around here is to make me happy. And this is what makes me happy. So we come to Christ. I'm going to be a little over time. hope you don't mind that. We'll kind of speed it up. The requirements of Christ then. Some more or statements. Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine. But it's his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own. The one who speaks on his own seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. So first of all, we begin with the investigation of Christ. Much like truth and general truth, we investigate things in God. Christ says, he welcomes the investigation of himself. Look, look into it. Look into me. See, see what I'm saying. You wanna, if someone's hiding something, 
If, if, it, if there's this constant period of rebranding, we have to call it something different now because it's different. And it's, when you investigate it, it's the same thing as it always was. Someone's hiding something. And Christ welcomes investigation. Was Jesus just a wise teacher? Was he philosophical? Was he just a good guy? But he says, investigate it and see if it's a, a divine source. You'll know. See, every educated person has had time pass them by. Socrates, smart guy. How many of us talk about him on a regular basis? No. Cicero? Hmm? Wise philosophers of the day, they've, they've passed by. Christ is extremely relevant 2,000 years later. That's not an accident. There's, there's more than wise teachings. There's a source that is divine. It's not just education. Matthew 11, he says, When Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and, and to preach in their cities. And when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered him, Go and tell John what you hear and see. And he then gives a, a, long, a lengthy message. Everyone doubts. Everyone wonders, at the end of the day... What am I saying up here? Have I wasted hours writing a sermon and we're all sitting here listening to something and there's no God out there? There is that possibility, because I can't see to the ends of the universe, that I am full of it. That exists as a real possibility this morning. Confidence in Christ. And this is where my mind works through some things that I know. It is natural for us to doubt his own cousin did. His own cousin comes to a moment where he's going to die and he's like, I hope I haven't died for nothing. Are you the one? Or is there another? And this addresses an incredible point. If we've come to the idea that, that there is a divine source of religion somewhere, then, it, then even if Christ isn't it, there has to be another. It's one or the other. There's a choice. It's either Christ or there is some sort of Messiah person that can communicate God's ideas to us if it's not Christ. And so we can simply go through and do what Christ says, investigate me until you come to you for the fact that you have confidence that I am right and these other things are inferior. Someone somewhere has to represent truth. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 27, verse 15 and 17. We're going to come to the last one, which is acceptance of Christ. And I, I know that it seems like acceptance should come before confidence. I should accept it before I'm confident, but, but I'm talking about practical acceptance, not intellectual. And you'll see what I mean here. <clears throat> he says, At the feast, the governor was accustomed to release the crowd, one prisoner from whom they wanted. 
they had a notorious prisoner named Barabbas. And so when they had called, uh, when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? And this is interesting, I think. I always say that. This is interesting. It's interesting to me. You might not think so. You're welcome to disagree. It's ridiculous. Who would make this choice? Now, the people who were killed by crucifixion were... We, we, we kind of get the idea that just there's massive amounts of crosses hanging all over the place. There, there weren't. There, there were a lot of people over the course. First of all, you, you, Roman citizens weren't. They were beheaded. That's why Paul was beheaded. He was a Roman citizen. Uh, so, so that narrows down the field. And, and even among, you know, they didn't, you didn't like steal candy from the store and get, you know, crucified. You had to be guilty of a certain number of things to be crucified. If you just stole something, that wasn't, I don't know what they did to you, uh, but you, weren't, you wouldn't be crucified. Like I, we talked about how, how Romans believed in justice. So, so you had to either be a murderer or to lead an insurrection of some sort. So, so it wasn't like, you know, it was like every day there's thousands of people being hung on crosses all over the place. It was kind of a, uh, it was an event that happened. So, so they have, they're releasing a, a murderer or a guy who leads insurrection, basically someone who's extremely dangerous into the community. And this is who they're choosing. Who chooses to do this over an innocent person? This is ridiculous. And we look at this and we go, this is ridiculous. And this is where we talk about the acceptance of Christ. They couldn't accept him practically. And, and when we say who would do this, we kind of forget something that we do the same exact thing. What do I mean by that? In life, we have to make a choice. Christ or a harmful influence. And every day, people, Christians and non-Christians, make this choice to accept harmful influences into their lives instead of Christ. Who would do a thing like that? I would. I have done it very recently. Certainly. That's why I come take communion, because I need this connection to God. Because I make these stupid choices and say, please, Barabbas, I would rather have this thing that hurts me. And that's kind of where we end up in, in our decision. Either make a tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit, you bunch of yellow-bellied snakes. That's what a viper is. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I can tell you, uh, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. But by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now there's a, an idea about this, that some confusion uh, we're going to talk about allegiance. And that's what this is about. And there's this idea that every nice person is, is a Christian. That's not what this means. And if we look at this and we run through it really quickly, that's kind of what it looks like. And that's not what this is saying. There are very nice atheists. 
obviously they're not Christians. They deny the existence of God. The intended lessons here are this. A relationship with God, first of all, can't be faked. Right? We'll get to this in just a second. You, you can't fake liking and, and, and committing to God. Good here is in the sense of morally excellent. That's, that's how God used the word. You, you can't be morally excellent without this chain of events resulting in a change of yourself. And achieving that level of goodness can only be accomplished with, with absolute confidence and absolute acceptance. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 1-3 through 3 says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes, right in front of your eyes, that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask just, just one question. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Then he asked another question. Are you foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And so he says, if you have this allegiance, another implication, this or, this or that. If you began this way, how can you end this way? If it starts with this, we have an implication of my method. I cannot accept Christ and adopt a method of pleasing Him that doesn't please Him. I accept you, God, and now I'm going to do what I want to make you happy. That doesn't work that way. I talked about coffee. Let me give you maybe a sharper illustration here. I had a cat named Caleb. Uh, Caleb was a tomcat, and and, uh, he spent rare times inside the house. I don't know why we owned him. And every morning on the way, I went out the back stairs. My brother went out the front stairs to to go to his school, and I actually exited out the back door because it was just the the way our our apartment was set up. And the cat would come up the back stairs because that door was always open down on the first floor. We lived on a third floor, and I I would open the door to go out, and every day there was a disemboweled animal in front of the door. It was a squirrel, a chipmunk, a pigeon, whatever it was, that Caleb did not eat the pigeon. Maybe he ate part of it, but it looked like it was mostly there. It was his offering. He was proud of it. I have done this for you. We didn't keep that as a memento. Right? Things your kids do, you might keep as a memento. We didn't keep the pigeons. And so often we do this with God. We say, here it is. I have created this for you. And God says, I wasn't interested in that. I don't want any part of that. If I accept God and the the source of all these things that are good for me and what He wants, I accept His methods and what He wants and the way He wants it. Obedience is not the creator of salvation. It's the evidence. 
That's the idea here. Your works don't create the salvation. They are an evidence that I have intellectually accepted Him and I'm confident in that. That's the purpose of works. They must be there. They must exist. I cannot exclude them. But they don't create my salvation. And so I'm going to conclude with one concept. You're going to have to make a choice at some point. You can only go on that, trying to hold two things at one time for so long. And it's only going to have value if you stick there. We were looking in Colossians this morning about a man named Demas who, who was faithful and faithful until the present world became too attractive to him and couldn't stick with it any longer. What a, what a waste of a number of years. If I have committed, if I, if I followed this out intellectually, if I've investigated Christ and said, yes, this is it, the other things pale in comparison, then why would I not stick with it? Why would I not say, this is it, to the exclusion of all other things? And I have to pick this one. Okay, I picked one, but now I have no backup plan, don't I? God says, you're going to pick one, no backup plan, so you better hold on to that one thing.